Well, welcome. It's good to be with you today. We're here to look at a topic that is a topic people ask about a lot in church and ask pastors a lot, and that is leadership. What, what, are, what does it look like to be a leader, a leader for Christ? And we've got a great person to sit with today, Pastor Dan Webster, and excited for what he's going to share with us as a church family about thoughts on leadership. So Dan, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Joel. It's great to be here. Yeah. Help us understand a little bit about your role working with leaders. Well, uh, you know, I've been a leader for probably 50 years now, and I'm very tired. <laughs> but uh, following people, being a leader, uh, building a couple large ministries, and uh, I never began. I think great, great leaders don't begin with the motivation to become a great leader. I think really effective leaders begin uh, with clarity concerning what is the work that God has their name on. They put their head down and they get about trying to accomplish it. And along the way, God seems to bump you into people that mature you and develop you and help you become an effective leader to accomplish the tasks that God's assigned to you. So I did that a couple times and ended up building a very large student ministry. Kind of at midlife, I had turned 40 and I walk into the auditorium and there are, you know, 16, 1700 high school kids there. And I realized I don't want to be there any longer. And so from a leadership standpoint, I was really clear on the work that God had called me to, but I had lost, something, was, something had shifted inside of me and I couldn't figure it out. And so that catapulted me into about an 18 month period of time where I had to rethink, okay, uh, what were my assumptions about leadership? Uh, and how did I change? How did the work change? from you know, over the 20 years that I did student ministry. And so out of that valley, I got clear on some things that I think are critical or essential to effective leadership. And not only at that time, but I saw other guys that I admired and respected who were effective uh, in their ministries, but they didn't build inner worlds to be able to sustain making those contributions. And they end up blowing their lives up, uh, shipwrecking their lives, blowing up their ministry, whether it was financial impropriety or sexual immorality. And so uh, I think I dodged a potential bullet being able to admit that I don't think I can do this any longer. This is really frightening to admit that I can't do this any longer. Would God have something else for me to do? And during that 18 months, you know, you kind of do a think back of your family of origin. You try to assess uh, did the ministry outgrow my capacities? What, what's going on here? And I got clear on that. And out of that um, was the kind of the germination of a ministry, Authentic Leadership Inc., which is really about today what I'm about is I'm trying to help leaders live authentic lives, trying to understand how do you manage yourself? How do you get clear on the work that has your name on it? And then how do you manage yourself to be able to sustain making that contribution as long as God has you doing that? And I think those are fundamental things that, uh, that are true to anyone who does leadership well. And so today, um, from a leadership perspective, I do uh, individual intensive leadings. I do a, a day and a half personal leadership summit with a leader and their spouse and help them think through who they are, how they got to where they are. A lot of people who are in transition will come to that, guys who are in uh, the marketplace and think they should go into the ministry or guys who are in ministry. and they hit a wall for whatever reason and they want to make a transition and I'll do leadership coaching out of that. Um, there's an organization called Fellowship of Christian Athletes that I've been uh, good friends with for a long time and I train all their new incoming staff. 
uh, three times a year in Kansas City. And uh, a friend and I, Randy Gravett, and I have created an emerging leaders program for kind of their top 1%, and we're in our third iteration of that right now. And so that's really fulfilling. And then I get a chance to speak in a lot of different environments. You know, people who lack discernment, like you and Rick Hunterman, you know, they invite me in to, to do a, you know, a couple mornings with the leadership team here. That's right, so, we're glad you're here. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of the manifestation now on a micro level, individual coaching and leadership development, speaking, trying to communicate the vision of what it looks like to be an authentic leader and then you know, specifically involved in, in some uh, mentoring programs in both uh, you know, companies, but uh, FCA is a, a big thing. I have a real heart for what's going on there, using athletics to impact you know, coaches and athletes around the world, and they've gone international, so it's pretty fun. Well, you shared about regarding leadership, the starting point is often getting clear about the work you want to do, and that that's, that's makes sense, because people go, I want to go do that, I want to go do that. Help us understand the balance. Well, when I talk about leadership, I use the metaphor of the sailboat. A lot of people will use the metaphor of the iceberg or a tree. I like the sailboat because when you look at a sailboat setting on the water, there's the above the water line seen part and there's the beneath the water line unseen part. And I, I like that metaphor because it illustrates the two lifelong works of leader development. Above the water line is the work of the work. And uh, I, I have the assumption that God has given each person talents and abilities and gifts and passions. And as we grow up, it's up to us to try to figure out, to do the work of discovering and developing ourselves, to make ourselves available to wherever God wants us to serve. And so that's the work of the work. And no matter what vocation you're in, if you're a cardiac surgeon, you want to get ever better at that work. If you're a pastor, you want to get better at that work. If you, you know, whatever you do. And so that's the work of the work. That's the work that God wants to do through us, whatever that looks like. And then beneath the waterline is the work of the heart. And that has to do with our character, our integrity, the quality of our soul, um, that place of where I think real authority comes from. And, uh, and leader development is always both end. I think that uh, smart leaders, each year they think about, okay, what am I going to do to expose myself to mentors or training you know, as a communicator, you know, who, who do you listen to that inspires you, that challenges you, both how they think about message preparation, how they deliver, how they impact people, how they move uh, people? I mean, every year you want to get better at that. You know, strategically, who are the people, um, whether it's in the church, maybe it's not in the church, but out there who really do think strategically, who, who see the future and what are the skills I need to see the future? And how do we restructure that? And so you want to get better at that. But you also want to grow your heart. You want to become more compassionate. You want to become uh, uh, more faithful to uh, you know, the, the person that God wants you to be. You want the, more of the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience. You want to be more dominated by, what it is, by my time of being with Christ rather than just doing things out there in the world. And so uh, that is, that's one of the challenges of leader development is because we can slide either way. You have people who all they do is focus on character and they never really get the work done. Then you got people who all they do is focus on the work and the work can, the good work of God can do bad things to the heart of a person if you're not attentive to it. And so leader development's always both and it's a moving thing that you got to pay attention to uh, in order to uh, keep yourself uh, sane and stable and sustained in being able to show up every single day, hopefully in a way that uh, 
you know, you have a full enough heart to make a contribution. Yeah. Abiding and bearing fruit goes hand in hand. Yep. What is true of people Did who... you notice you just said abiding and bearing fruit? You said in like one sentence what I just said in three minutes. Yeah. There's a gift there, just, yeah. just in case you want to... <laughs> well, actually, I'm, Jesus thought of it. But uh, what's true uh, about people who do what they should do and be what they should be? <clears throat> I'm not the first person to... Uh, put forth the idea, the notion that leadership begins with self-leadership. Uh, I think that's critical. What I have discovered is that people who lead themselves well, uh, there are things that are true about them. And in a little simple triad, people who lead themselves well, they stay close, they stay clear, they stay clean. You know, bada bing, there it is, three words. Let's see you do that shorter in one sense. So close, clear, and clean. Um, <clears throat> close people who do their work well, they stay close to what their core values are. Those of us who love Jesus, we understand we have to, um, we have to apply the disciplines, the routines in our life that enable us to stay uh, intimate with Christ, present tense. We don't want to let our faith slide to past tense. We got to keep it present tense. And so that's closeness. If, if you don't know Christ, you out there, then you got to get clear on what your core values are and you got to live into those. You know, and companies talk about that all the time and they drift from their core values. Um, and, and I think, you know, so that's, that's really important. For me, I want to stay close. Uh, I want to carry the presence of Christ, hopefully with every moment that I live. I want to breathe that. Staying clear is, as a leader, if I'm going to lead myself well and lead my ministry or the church or the company, whatever, my family, I got to stay clear on, okay, you know, we are here and we want to move here. And so there is this ongoing tyranny as a leader to figure out what's the next incremental next step to take to move towards what we would say is our God-discerned preferred future out here. So leaders who lead themselves well, they create uh, rhythm strategies. They have whiteboards in their office. They have war rooms where, where they keep current issues and they architect stuff and they're constantly figuring out here's the next right step. And I think that's a skill. And then this whole staying clean thing, staying close to the Lord, staying clear concerning um, you know, what the next right step is uh, in whatever you lead. Uh, the staying clean thing is a, I think that's a monster <clears throat> because people lead themselves well they daily ask for the mercy of God because they live close to their heart. And they understand that spiritually I need to stay clean. I can't lie to myself. I need to uh, apologize when I recognize that I'm wrong. I need to stay, have a, a level of humility that keeps me open to people. So I'm, I'm careful there to stay spiritually clean. But not only that, I, I think uh, a not often talked about reality of leading is what it looks like to stay emotionally clean because leading anything is emotionally taxing and you think of the the plethora of different emotions that you that a leader goes through in a week you know the disappointment the anger the frustration hopefully the joy the exhilaration the oh my gosh and um, the uh, insecurity the fear all those things can cascade on a leader and I think Leaders who lead themselves well, they, 
they ask themselves regularly, how often that is that? I don't know, they, they chronicle what happened yesterday. They stay attentive to what's going on. <coughs> Excuse me, but they, but they are attentive to the fact that leading has an emotional cost to it. I need to pay attention to that. I need to be honest with that. If I get uh, uh, ambushed or caught in a, in a downward spiral of emotion, whether that's you know, negative patterns of thinking or insecurity, I need to talk with someone to get myself out of that. I think those three things are true of people who lead themselves well, who do both the being and the doing. You know, those three things play into each one of those areas. And what is it to, to be a person who's got this lined up correctly and they're trustworthy? This is a person that they're, they're doing these things that you're saying, yeah. and they're a person that someone else is going to trust them. Well, one, uh, Brigadier General Daniel Kreisman is someone I greatly admire. Uh, he's won multiple awards, but one of the things that's fascinating to me about him is that he was the superintendent of West Point for, I think, eight or ten years. He oversaw the educational process of all the kids at West Point, which our country invests a lot of money in. I don't know, 250, 300 grand a kid, you know, for those for that process. And so uh, a man that I know was interviewing him recently and asked him, he's Daniel, you know, for eight years you oversaw the educational process. What were you after? You know, after four years of investment in these, you know, a lot of them really wonderful kids, where did you want to get kids to? And Christman said, it's pretty simple. And he said, I'll give it to you in a formula. This was just stunning to me. He said, Integrity plus respect equals trust. We were after in every one of our kids, by the time they graduate, um, we want them to understand what integrity is, what the violation of integrity does to them as they think about leadership. Who, will, who do they follow? Do you follow a person who has no integrity? Well, then maybe you should choose to be a person of integrity. What does it, a person of integrity understands what their core values are, and they just don't talk about them, they actually live into them. And so if we can help all of, our, all of these young students graduate with a life of, committed to a life of integrity, plus an attitude of respect towards every other human being that they encounter, whatever nationality, race, age, whatever, um, if a person feels respected by you, even though your values might be different, well, if you, have integrity and respect, people trust those kind of folks. And you'll follow someone like that. And so obviously West Point wants to create leaders. And they feel that if, if we can create people who, who are trustworthy, then they will be leaders in whatever environment they're dropped into, whether that's on, you know, on an island somewhere or whether that's leading a company somewhere. So as a follower of Christ, you know, thinking about where, I mean, you just use a great example with West Point, but What's the great model yeah. we look to, to go, that's, that's what we want right there? Yeah. Well, one other, our model, um, uh, I was recently asked by a, a buddy in a podcast, he said, Webster, why aren't you a jerk? And I said, well, that's an odd question. Why would you ask me that? He said, well, a lot of people who write books and who have some notoriety and have been around for a while, they end up being jerks. And you're not a jerk. And I, I, I said, well, thank you, I guess. You know, <laughs> yeah. I said, but uh, 
I said, I can think of two reasons. Uh, one is that when I went through middle school, I was a really fat kid. And so I have kind of a core insecurity. There's a little fat boy that lives inside of me, even at the age that I am now. And that can be protective to prevent me from being, you know, all huffy puffy about things. I said, but more importantly, my model of leadership is Jesus. And so he's the person that I take the cue from. I am overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus said, listen, I am with you as one who serves. And every uh, educational institution across our country will say they're trying to create leaders. They're trying to birth leaders. But uh, leadership is service. It's serving other people. But serving other people selflessly is very challenging and difficult to sustain. And so I come back to the life of Christ, and I, I try to study his life and how he rallied himself to continue to teach what it is to live upside down, to make others first, the greatest among you should be your servant, but how he was able to pull it off in the lives of his disciples. Because I look at the disciples, and those guys could not have been easy to love constantly. They're, they're knuckleheads a lot of time. For three years they were with Jesus, and they still didn't get the concept of living upside down, of being servant, illustrated by Jesus washing their feet. Lowest servant in the household would do that. No one's willing to do it. There wasn't one brother who was willing to serve the other brothers three years into it. And so, you know, Jesus models that. But I, I, this is my imagination here. I imagine Jesus looking at disciples and saying, um, do you guys think it's easy for me to show up and love you every day? And I can, I can see Peter going, hey, listen, I'm, I'm as lovable as they come. Yeah. And I, but I can see Jesus looking at Peter and saying, Peter, you drive me crazy sometimes. You know, some of the things you say, I know your heart's right, but your mouth is in the totally... I had to call you Satan a while back. I'm sorry about that, but you needed that. It kind of straightened you out. Um, you know, to James and John, who want to call fire from heaven down on the, on the Samaritan people because they won't let Jesus and the boys walk through their part of the country. And I can see Jesus looking at James and John and saying, you guys, you know, you think you're the, you know, you're the sons of thunder. Uh, you have a very mafioso bent to you. There's a lot of darkness in you guys. You drive me nuts sometimes. And then Thomas, Thomas, if you ask me why one more time, you know, I'm going to slap you on the noggin, you know. So, so I, and in, in John chapter 15, uh, Jesus says to these guys, listen, um, let me tell you what is fundamental to me being able to show up every day and to love you and what ultimately will be critical to you being able to show up and love the people that you're to love. And Jesus says, oh, uh, just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So it's as if Jesus says, the way I'm able to sustain loving you and loving the people around me in my Judean neighborhoods is I get the heck away from you. And I shift inside of my spirit from a giving mode of living, which I'm, you know, Jesus was called, he gave everything you know, ultimately his own life. I shift there from giving to receiving. And, and what I do is the I, I am willing to allow the Father to love me. I'm secure enough to receive another person's love, that I'm worthy of that love. And as I receive that love, something happens inside of me. And then what I do is then I come back to you guys tomorrow morning and I reflect my experience with the Father, that just as the Father's loved me, 
to you boys. That's how I sustain this. And then just a couple of verses later, Jesus says, now listen, here's the new commandment I've given to you, that you love one another, and he uses the same phrase, just as I have loved you. So he's saying, listen, I want you guys to become experts in receiving... On the web. I, want, I want you guys to become experts to uh, receiving my love, to understanding how much love I have for you, and to the degree that you experience my love, that's going to be reflected as you step into your neighborhood or into the people that you're called to love. If you don't understand what it is to be loved by me, it's going to reflect. If you do understand what it is to be loved by me, it's going to reflect. And so before you run out and change the world, yeah. here's an idea. Receive from me and yeah. then take that joyfully. And that speaks really to us as a church of this is, you know, you. the vision for us as a church is love your actual neighbor. And we have this just as principle, just as the Father has loved the Son, just as the Son has loved us. So, Well, that's really good. I didn't yeah. even steal that from you. Yeah. So, yeah. Great, great minds. I so think so what, is, what, are, what are your thoughts on that with our vision as a church being love your actual neighbor? Well, uh, loving any neighbor, whether they're actual or not actual, is hard because they're different than us. Um, and it's inconvenient a lot of the time. And their schedule isn't the same as ours. And so uh, to rally the kind of love and compassion that says, I'm probably going to have to adjust my life to love my actual neighbor. That's, well, did Jesus adjust his actual life to love me? Uh, we could probably build a case for that. Um, so I think realizing that, uh, that A, um, it's rarely going to be convenient. But very rarely are the things that are convenient the things that are you know, worth doing in life. And to reflect the heart of God, the inconvenience that, that the Father went through to send His Son in order to sacrifice for us, well, i got to model that then. I'm going to probably sometimes go to places, create things that I wouldn't necessarily even want to do, but it's the right thing to do. It's the God reflecting God's heart to the people around me. And, but it also then says, I, I need to, uh, what do I do? What does my time with God look like where I get re-inspired? I get my mind renewed about the importance of this task of loving my actual neighbor. Um, what do I listen to? Who do I listen to? Who are the models of how to live this life? And, uh, you know, what does that look like? So to, to manage, again, it gets back kind of that manage my own self. I got to manage myself so that I keep my passions high and I keep my eye on the ball of what God wants me to do because there's a thousand voices calling out for my attention, you know, beginning with everything I've got to binge watch on Netflix, um, you know, to all the other different things that are going on. And it, but it's, it's, it's an ongoing constant choice. But the thing that is so surprising is... When you reach your actual neighbor, when you do the picnic, when you, whatever you do in your neighborhood, the community and the life that comes back, you know, you walk away from those, those experiences and you just think, man, there was something, there was life there that isn't in the third season of The Crown. You know, there, there, was, there was something really significant that happened there. And... I mean, it's, it is, I think it's a, it's a brilliant strategy. It's a God-honoring strategy. But to keep, to keep everyone in the church, keep their eye on that ball, and to keep uh, them receiving from Christ so they want to give, 
and to keep them managing and to sharing how important those are and to see what happens in the lives of people in your neighborhood. You know, to, to all those little things you do to remind people to keep their eye on that vision. That's a huge challenge. It's a huge responsibility that you've got in the leaders of the church. But it, it's certainly worth it. I think it's a righteous goal, man. Well, I heard you say earlier, hey, you got a righteous mission. You got a righteous vision. What kind of person is needed for that? And, yeah. and I just thought, well, a righteous person. Yeah. Righteous person. Hey, that's exactly right. <laughs> a person that is going to be. See, that's the, the third time you've reduced something right down to like <laughs> boom, boom, boom. I think there's a gift you got here, Joel. That's good. I like that. Uh, so, anything, and I'm going to steal that next time I speak. I'm yeah. not going to give any tribute to yeah, you, man. That'll fine. be all my idea. Yeah, <laughs> that'll be great. So, is there anything else that you'd want to just share with our church family as we're thinking about being leaders for Jesus? I don't know, you know, what's the big closing crescendo, brilliant, deep thought that'll inspire everyone to run outside and, you know, sing something. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. The older I get, the more I, uh, things get simpler. You know, I was telling the group today that uh, my goals this year are pretty simple. I have three goals. One is to love God authentically every day. No baloney, you know. Uh, be every day the things that you're trying to teach. And if you aren't, then shut up until you get your heart right. Number two, my number two goal, my wife and I have been married for 48 years. And my, my number two goal this year is to honor the woman who's given me five decades of her life. And so I'm being stupid in how I'm trying to love her and create opportunities for her. Just send her to a Zumba trainers conference in Orlando. So she went and danced for four days. Yeah. She came home with this smirky <laughs> smile on her face. It was awesome. It was awesome. And then the third thing is to um, is just to generously love the people that God puts in my path that I have a chance to serve, like you folks. You know, if I can pull off those three things, and there's, I mean, we have boys and grandchildren and all those kinds of things, but to to try to keep your eye on what is most important and to um, invest the energy that you have in the things that are that uh, get you to the life that you know God wants you to live. Um, it's an ongoing discipline because there's a lot of distractions, but you know, um, so a lot of the time I feel like I keep my eye on the ball. When I don't, I you try to readjust quickly, and or you have friends that remind you what are you doing and love you back to where it is. But I listen. I have such great love and admiration for the work here and. Um, how things have gone and, you know, the strategic vision that you have. And even in spite of Rick Countryman, you know, who is such a great friend. And I'm, you know, I'm just kidding, church. I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a little humor for you to have. But I've, you know, I've watched him and listened to him grow for a long time. And uh, I'm incredibly humbled to even be invited to have the opportunity to be with you guys for a couple of days and to come into your field and to try to move the ball down just yeah. the field just a little bit. So thanks for the opportunity. You're welcome. Thanks for being with us. Sure, you bet. Yeah, it's been good yeah. to spend time together. Good. Thanks. Well, and thank you for joining us. We're going to continue to equip the church, continue to bring discipleship, uh, and really challenge us to be who God wants us to be and to do the things that God wants to do. And keep it simple. God loved us. Let's receive that love. There you go. Let's give that love to others. So we'll see you again soon.